Hello and welcome to the Wednesday podcast. My name is Bryn Hughes. I'm the Sheep and Beef Manager for Wednesday. And I'm joined today by Mark Matthews and Millie Hendy. And today's topic is going to be winter housing of beef cattle. So, Mark, would you like to introduce yourself, please? Hi, good afternoon, everybody. My name is Mark Matthews. I'm Wednesday's Animal House Specialist in the Midlands area, covering Derbyshire, Staffordshire, Leicestershire and Warwickshire. And Millie. Hi both. I'm Millie Hendy, Young Stock Manager for Wednesday. We've got a team of six across the trading area. So we go from Lancaster to Cornwall currently. So today we're going to be discussing steps to take for successful winter housing of beef cattle. And I'll start off really. Obviously the weather has become very, very wet. And one of the major concerns when it comes to this time of year is that the dry matter of the, the grass that is in front of the cattle has dropped significantly to below 20%. Once you're below 20%, the cattle are eating a lot of water and they're not getting the nutrients requirements that they need. So there's also the risk of poaching the ground. So it makes sense in most areas to house these cattle. And it's a process that we all know about, but it's quite often underplanned and can cause problems, okay? So things that you should consider at housing should be you know, the condition of the sheds to start with. If you've had disease issues in there previously, disinfecting and cleaning them out properly is a, is a good idea. Cleaning out water troughs, etc., self-explanatory kind of steps to take. From a nutrition point of view, I think one of the most important things that you can do is to assess your silage. And there's two ways that we assess silage, really. The first of all is to make sure that we've got sufficient quantity. And that is a reasonably simple calculation that we can carry out. You know, if you look at the dry matter intake of cattle over the period, multiplied by the weight, then that'll give you the quantity of silage you require for the winter period. And it's always better to make contingency plans early on in the season rather than being fighting for whatever silage is left later on in the season. Now, it looks like silage stocks have been boosted a fair bit this year by late harvests, which will help, and straw prices aren't off the scale either. So in certain situations, a bit of substitution with straw rather than silage can stretch things out significantly. So that's mainly looking at the quantity side of things. Just a little note on there. We were in a farm demonstration with some balers a while ago, which had weighing machines on. And modern bales are getting closer to 600 kilos rather than traditional small bales, uh, round bales out of older balers, which were more like three to 350 kilos. So, you know, even if your stack of bales looks a bit smaller, it could well be that there's a lot more weight in that stack. Okay. So let's look at the quality of the silage and the quality will have a serious kind of impact on how well those cattle perform. So the most sensible thing you can do is to ask your Wednesday representative to sample your silage. Those samples will come back within a couple of days and that will give you a great starting point in terms of rationing animals. Now, the better the quality of the silage, the lower the need for supplementary feeding. Okay. Now, the level of supplementary feeding will depend to a certain extent on performance targets that you'll set those animals. So if you've got weaned suckler calves and you are aiming for a, another season out of grass, a performance level of about three quarters of a kilo is most probably enough. And then you'll get some supplementary kind of growth or complementary growth once you turn them back out of grass. If you're putting cattle in to finish, then 
your demands then will be a lot higher and you should be aiming really on kind of native cattle that's the Aberdeen Angus to Hereford kind of breeds which we're seeing a, like a large increase in the number of those cattle in the UK now recent AI kind of services have been very much in favour of Aberdeen Angus and Hereford 30 or 40 percent of the beef cattle in the UK are now native breeds a target of about a kilo a day is enough for them and if you're on continental cattle, you know, 1.2 to 1.5 is a good target. So let's look at the process. If you've had the silage analysed and it comes back at a what we used to call like a 70D value or a you know like a 12, 12 to 13 ME silage, then the need for supplementary feeding is a lot less. And that can be compared with a 60D value silage, kind of a 9 ME silage. You know, you can be half the supplementary. So if you've got a calf aiming to do three quarters of a kilo with a calf and you've got poor quality silage, older cut, kind of uh, long term lays, you'll be looking to supplement them by about two to three kilos a day per animal. And if you're trying to finish cattle on that type of silage, you really need to be on ad lib concentrates on them. And that concentrate should be like a 14, 15 percent protein level. If you've made excellent quality silage where you're closer to the 12 ME, then you can really sensibly half those concentrate levels. So there's a significant saving there. Now, on the other hand, if you have got that excellent quality silage and you've got a suckler herd, if you feed those suckler cows on that excellent silage, they'll get too fat and you will get, well, you may get problems at calving. Hopefully you don't, but, um, you know, you need to dilute that with some either poorer quality silage or some some straw that's a brief intro on the on the feeding side mark what should we consider in terms of animal health obviously these animals have been out on pasture eating eating a lot of parasites potentially in the stale season of the grass what should the farmers be considering in terms of controlling parasites mark and making sure these cattle are healthy going indoors with parasites and animal health on the cattle brain i always recommend that on every farm there's no set situation and I always think it's a good idea to involve your local Wednesday rammer have a discussion around the table firstly right what status are these cattle at how long are they going to be out at grass for are we bringing them in are these store cattle are they yearlings or are they fat cattle destined for slaughter in a couple of weeks time and then tailoring the program to what your situation is for example is you don't want to be using the wrong product on fat cattle that are going to be going down the road in two weeks time because of your withdrawal periods you, you want a short withdrawal but it's then these cattle that are out and this year we've had a phenomenal growing season so sort of a typical scenario that i'll be discussing with my clients is when the weather's like this we are getting a quite periods of wet weather but sometimes the cattle are better off than being housed and sweating up and there's still forage on the ground for them to eat. So I'll be looking at, say, a product there of Torador, which is a poron, controls all the parasites, gives you some persistency. But what I like about it is, is the flexibility that once you've done those cattle out at grass, you can then house them within five weeks. So then if the weather changes and you bring them in within that five week period, the cattle then you're reducing the stress factor because then you can just house them without running them through a crush to do a pour on however on that program there we have not covered the fluke so if that farmer has potential fluke on the farm which he can be done by checking and getting it tested and the same with the worms 
or say for example if he's got cattle out at grass and sending direct into an abattoir if the kill sheets are coming back with condemned livers that would also give you an indication that there's uh, so mark how do we how do we test on farm for fluke then well we've actually just started up with the uh, fat pack where we can supply the customer with the kit to do it the farmer then takes a dung sample needs to be fresh and warm as they say that then gets from a number of cattle or from an individual beast i would normally do it on a group of cattle a group the same again that sample needs to be fresh yeah. Uh, we're doing more and more faecal egg counting on the sheep side with resistance to anthelmintics, which is what we're also trying to prevent in our programmes. So, say for when you come back to like the programme I was just on about there, so if you've wormed those cattle out at grass, you're going to house them within the five week period. So, you've done your wormer out at grass. When you then house them, then if you thought fluke was a problem, either by kill sheets, testing, or your general stockmanship, you know those cattle, then what you could do is drench them down the throat with Fasinex 240, which kills all fluke from two weeks old onwards. So once those cattle have been housed, you would need to leave them for two weeks, which is where I always like as well, because then they get the pecking order in the shed, they've calmed down, they're not stressed, and you can just nicely run them through a crush and drench them down the throat, and that's taken all fluke out. But that also then is preventing eggs being passed out onto the pasture in the spring. So what you're also doing is taking the fluke out, reducing the problem for next season. And is it true, Mark, that there's quite often bad practice in terms of using the incorrect flucicide at different stages, and then we have problems where you've missed the eggs or you've missed the mature larva? Yeah, I've seen it. I've had previous experiences where the, the wrong product of choice has been chosen and the farmer thinks he's doing all fluke. But for example, some of the injectables, which worms does external parasites, but it's only taking out the adult fluke. So if those cattle, if they were done on the day of housing with that product, there's the potential there for earlies and immatures to be still in the system, migrating the way up through the animal. So then if they're being fattened and then they go off to the abattoir, they still could be picking up by fluke. Well, that's well. Um, good advice is required there, Mark. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you've got to sort of get the uh, ask the questions for each individual farm of what we're actually doing there, what we've previously wormed with, etc., and then tail the programme around it. And also... It can be the simplest things of what facilities the farmer got. So, for example, if the farmer hasn't got a specific crush that it can operate and apply these animal health products correctly and safely, then we might have to pick a product that he can use more safely, but change the management of it. For example, he could use a combination pour on for fluke and worms. Well, I would be doing that product with that product that needs to be done six weeks after housing because then the flute would have migrated up to six weeks old and then you would take everything out at that point but for him if he's not got a crush that would be the better product for it and safer product and easier for him to put on but you've just got to be mindful of what these products cover and like with that product you've got the potential there of six weeks reduced growth rates uh, by using that yeah so summary there mark really is that there's products out there timing relies on the advice and which product you use then comes down to individual circumstances and the advice you receive but you would recommend on beef cattle if it's a possibility to do a feck pack or a fecal egg count test would you 
yes, I would. In not every case scenario, that would be uh, the president, but it's a backup to let yeah. you see what's happening out there on the farm, you know what I mean, out on the pasture. It's a useful tool then, really. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anything else that's kind of from an animal health point of view, Mark, that you'd recommend that housing? We've had the wormer, we've had the fluke. Yeah. Obviously, if they're going through the crush, a weighing would be good from, from my point of view on the nutrition side. I spend a lot of time weighing animals, and I think it's a really one of the most useful things that we can do, isn't it? Exactly. What else would you kind of recommend? Millie, you can chip in here as also from a showing point of view. It's damp, it's wet, it's warm. Do you recommend clipping backs on cattle? Yeah, obviously it depends when you're, when you're showing these cattle, but general stores would definitely take their backs out. Yeah reduce the sweating and I suppose we're converting more more feed so they are going to sweat more aren't they and yeah and I, I think you're know, like sort of housing is important there are recommended sizes for pens but I quite often go into places that I think a little bit more space smaller group sizes always pay dividends don't they cattle settle down quicker in smaller groups so a little bit of work on penning hygiene and pens I think pays big dividends I think some of the trials that we've done you know comfortable cattle will do about 0.1 to 0.2 of a kilo more and when you consider the cost silage is expensive to make and buy concentrate feed is at the higher end of where it's been so you know a bit of cattle comfort focus on health making sure everything else is right is extremely important now the good news is that beef trade is relatively buoyant and you know it's worthwhile making the effort if you're selling stores in the spring or if you're aiming for the finished market, it's worthwhile paying the attention to detail and getting the jobs right. Mark, have we covered everything on the animal health side? Uh, there's just one other point I think it's worth just mentioning is uh, when you have treated, say, for example, animals with the Torador, which covers your external parasites. I have seen it before, say, later on into the new year of the following year. You can just get a flare up sometimes of mange or lice, and that could be the simplest things of other animals introduced into that, that group reinfects other animals uh, with lice. So if you do have that situation, another good product to go in with, which I uh, advocate, is flypaw because that treats lice and mange, but it doesn't worm because there's no need to worm because we've already done that. And then if you have got any of that product, left on the shelf because the pack size of the amount of animals you've got to do don't worry because you can use that as a fly control in the spring ready for turnout so you can have a nice combination of products that work for your housing and you can then use them in springtime yeah i would say that's the only thing i've noticed this time round with the the temperature of his flies um i suppose it doesn't matter so much for your your bullocks but those heifers getting mastitis is um, a bit of a nightmare at the moment mm-hmm. but uh, another thing i would mention to farmers as well is sort of try and fit your pack sizes to the amount of doses you've got the labeling on some of these products now is changing and the shelf life is actually on when the bottle is or the vial is breached not on the actual expiry of the box so just something to be bear in mind. You don't want to be buying 300 doses when you only need 100. But then that product, when you've wrote it down in your medicine book because you broke the vial, is sort of in a bit of a grey area. OK, so that's good. Mark, that's a good look at what we should be doing in terms of animal health at housing. Millie, a lot of people will be buying calves this time of year. It's mm-hmm. a it's a winter job. A lot of calves coming on to farms in the autumn. Demands are slightly different in the autumn for these calves. Do you want to just touch on that really so we can see what people should be doing with bought in calves bucket reared calves really isn't it 
So yeah, obviously we're looking at autumn calvers, fair flush of beef calves coming through. I would say that the struggle with us being beef calf rearers is the colostrum management. Obviously that's slightly out of our control coming off those dairy farms, but we'll we'll take it that they've all had sufficient colostrum. So the only thing that we can really, I suppose, control is the environment that they're coming into and the nutrition that we're going to follow them on through and, and wean those calves as well as we can. Just a couple of things to bear in mind as we come into winter would be temperature. So the calves would have different lower critical temperature requirements as they go over three weeks of age. So if we look at calves less than three weeks of age, we'll be looking about 10 to 15 degrees, whereas if they go over three weeks of age, it'll be more six to 10 degrees. So that's the, the temperature that they need to be able to maintain their own body temperature. So that's where we enhance those, those feed curves. So what, um, um, sorry, Amelia, cutting yeah, across no, a bit, but what steps would you take Say if we mm -hmm. get a, it's mild and wet and soggy at the moment, isn't it? So yeah. other challenges in terms of new pneumonia. But yeah. as we get into November, we quite often have a cold snap. Mm -hmm. You've just bought a load of calves from a source. What yeah. steps can you take to keep those calves warm? Yeah, I suppose it's um it's going to be all to do with the environment, that shed that they're going into. Let's keep them well bedded. I think that's, although straw can be dear, it's going to be your best source of keeping those these calves warm. I think we've got to remember that warm calves will convert feed for growth. If we get the calves cold, they'll be using that that energy for keeping warm. So keep them well bedded, put in any bales that you need to keep those drafts out as long as we're not getting calves cold. The use of calf jackets, always useful for those younger calves. I wouldn't necessarily say they'll actually give you extra daily life weight gain but they'll definitely help maintain that body temperature. So important if you're going to use them, keep them clean don't mix the batches and recycle dirty coats because you will spread that disease. We can talk about feeding more milk. There's a lot of people that would recommend feeding extra grams per day to calves as the temperature drops below five degrees. But I'd just be careful of that one purely because the osmolality of milk powders. Yes, they're safe to feed at 150 grams per litre. But if you start creeping those up to 175, 200, you could just run into um, trouble with the osmolality. What do you and mean, then, for, from yeah. a farmer's point of view, or maybe a Welsh farmer's point of view, Millie, what do you mean by osmolality? It's the balance within the gut, is it? Yeah, so osmolality is a measure of concentration of particles in a solution. So cow's milk could be the same as blood, so around 300 millismalls per kilogram, which is the optimal for absorption and digestion of nutrients by calves. When we look at some milk replacers, they normally sit between 400 and 600. This is where we've got to take into consideration the dry matter of the milk replacer. We're comparing cow's milk to 12.5%, whereas we would be feeding milk replacers slightly higher due to the fat content at 135 to 150 grams per litre. So when the osmolality of a calf's liquid feed is too high, fluid is effectively drawn from the calf's blood into intestine. So this ultimately will lead you to your dehydration and diarrhoea that we will often see on farm. So just bear in mind those feed rates, make sure we don't take them too high. I would try and avoid anything higher than 150. Just speak to your local representative on, on what they would recommend. Millie, uh, just a quick question on bedding your calves. What's mm -hmm. the sort of gold standard rule of thumb, of, as in the amount of straw to, to, to bed these calves with? What would you recommend as a rule of thumb so everyone's sort of trying to work to that same protocol? Yeah, 
so um obviously it's more visual with that obviously you can do squelch tests so if you knelt down on your knees you would like to to not see any dampness on your knees so that's one thing i would recommend wearing overalls because the amount of uh, moisture that you will find in some of those calf pens will be surprising but yeah nesting score i think let's aim to have those calves legs covered up if you can see their legs then it will show that you you have a poor nesting score compared to to a calf that's nesting score three with its legs covered up I think it's a good point, Millionaire went to a large-scale calf producer about a month ago and very, very low levels of pneumonia, but those calves mm-hmm. were in a lot of straw and it looked yeah. comfortable, really, whereas, you know, quite often we see calves with insufficient bedding, really, isn't it? Um, yeah, and I suppose your, your wet straw is going to provide the perfect place for bacteria to thrive in that environment, isn't it? So keeping that as dry as possible, albeit a little bit more expensive, will definitely save you pennies in the long run yeah yeah definitely okay we're back on something i've been advocating recently as well especially in particular now we're coming up to winter housing is the importance of foot dips on uh, the entrance to all these sheds because yes our friends come round and visit if they're in the shed feeding at the time and the friends come round, is a bit of a first protocol is dip your boots before you come into the shed and if you're moving from shed to shed each Mm -hmm. shed i know not every scenario can it can be done like that because of practicalities but it is good practice on biosecurity to be doing that. Yeah, no, 100%. And the amount of calves, if you're sourcing from market, they're coming from multiple homes, aren't they? So as, um, as good as we can be on hygiene, the better it will, will help us. I think another one, when we allude to the market situation, obviously those calves are going through a fair bit of stress with transport, change in environment, change of nutrition. So just keep them really well hydrated. If it's an electrolyte on arrival, it will definitely help just keeping those calves ticking over. You don't know when they were last fed. So, yeah, if you can get a milk feed into them, provide them the energy and hopefully you'll, you'll have a better feed in the morning. OK, great. So I think we've covered the main points that we wanted to done. Just to summarise a nutrition point of view, definitely sample your silage and work out a ration according to the targets of those animals and have a bit of a check to make sure you've got enough silage to take you through what could be a long winter. Mark, you've said that tailored advice is the most important aspect in terms of parasite control. And Millie, you've concentrated really on the attention to detail in terms of feeding rates, critical temperatures, and bedding calves down and the correct nutrition for those calves. So I think that's enough from us today. I hope that you've enjoyed our podcast on winter housing for cattle. Thank you. Thank Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Brent. Thank you, Millie. Thank you, Mark.